Colossians chapter 1. If you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Thank you for being here today on Christmas Eve, the Lord's Day. I know you didn't come for me, but it is an encouragement. Just as a brother in Christ, it's an encouragement to have the church gathering on the Lord's Day. Thankful for it. Colossians chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 15 and read down to verse 20. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, he might be preeminent. Here's Christmas, verse 19, it's Christmas. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Here's the gospel making peace by the blood of the cross. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that by your spirit you would open our eyes and unstop our ears, that you would make it so that we would see the glory of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the people here today on the Lord's Day. We pray that you might bless the effort and the intent and the focus and the attention given to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, the reality of a tragedy, the reality of a tragedy can be bewildering in your life. The reality of tragedy can be bewildering at Christmas. If you've had something this year or you've been living with something for some time, Christmas rolls in and you can feel numb, disconnected. You feel like your mind is moving in some sort of slow motion. Christmas cards don't cheer you up. Christmas parties don't bring joy, time off. If you get a little time off of work, it feels like you're in some sort of suspended animation. What Christmas becomes for you is a spotlight that's been pointed right down on your pain. Hard to be thankful. It's impossible to be cheerful. And every attempt at normalcy seems fruitless. All of us in this room have some level of dullness that we deal with, something that threatens to rob us of that core Christian essential. It's known as joy. Connie and I I discussed some of this as we sort of wrestled through our own fog, and something she said to me the other night drove me to this passage. 
Connie said, but you know, we have the gospel. The gospel. The beautiful promise of hope and love and care. The promise that God cares for you. The promise of the care of God found in Jesus, found in his life, in his death on the cross, in his resurrection. That's partly why I've come to Colossians this morning. We've landed here in this beautiful declaration of the supremacy. If you want to know what it is, it's the supremacy of Christ. That Christ is supreme in all things. Written by the Apostle Paul, written to a church that's struggling through some heretical teaching that had seeped in. And, and, and Paul is doing what I need to do. Paul's doing what we need to do. Getting the church to look up. To look and see the supremely smiling face of Jesus. Not just as an opiate. I don't want you to to take a pill to ease your pain and you think that Christianity is something just to ease your pain. It certainly will. Jesus certainly will. And he's not just a crutch that's going to help you get through. I want you to see Christ your king. I want you to know his all-encompassing love. I want you to know his healing touch on your heart and mind and body. I want you to realize I want you to realize who you belong to. To think about that. To think about who he is and then what does that mean for you? Who are you? And if he is who this word says he is, then you're actually going to make it. Today I hope to convince you to base who you are. You like to write things down? This is what I would write down. If not, just listen. I want you to base who you are on who he is. Base who you are on who he is. Let's go through it quickly. Let's get to the passage and uh, let's just walk by and just, I'm just going to point out a couple things like a tour guide walking through the passage. I'll just point out something. You look at it and we'll move on to the next one. Here's the first one. Number one, I want you to see that he is God. That Jesus is God. He is God. Verse 15, you see it, don't you? Notice how Paul begins. Paul tells us he is the image of the invisible God. God is invisible. Jesus is the image. The Greek word icon. Paul is letting us know that although we can't see God, we sometimes can't feel God, maybe we don't even believe God, but you really can't see, feel, or believe God unless you see Him in Jesus Christ. But if you do, brother, if you do know Him, if you have trusted in His perfect life for your sinful life, if you have trusted in His death on the cross for your own sins, if you have trusted in the resurrection, the, vic the victorious resurrection of Jesus then you do know God. And the Bible says, if you know God, God is close to the brokenhearted. What did John tell us in John chapter 1, verse 18? I'll use this tonight. 
John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. It is, it is vital that we grasp and hold on to this fundamental Christian truth. It's good for us. If you've been to Hickory Grove for some time, we, we try to keep our attention on doctrine, but that's not all we do. Doctrine always feeds devotion. Information always gives us energy to follow. Doctrine always feeds devotion. But without this understanding of the exclusive nature of Christ, if we don't understand that, we lose the gospel. That Jesus is the absolutely accurate, perfect image of God. What did Hebrews tell us? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Hebrews tells us that He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact representation of His nature and His being, which tells you everything about who you are in Christ. Look, get your... Get your head up. The Jesus you believe in is God. What else is he? Let me give you a second point. Let's go quickly through it. Number two, he is the focus of our lives, the focus. What does Paul say in verse 15? Join me there. Verse 15, he says, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. See that word firstborn? I want to circle that word. The Greek word protokos, P-R-O-T-O-K-O-S, if you like those sort of things. What that means is not that he was the firstborn of many that would follow. That word protokos is a title. It's a rank. Paul is saying he is the only one who is worthy of an inheritance that goes to the firstborn son. It is an, a title of supremacy. That word uh, firstborn, that title is used all throughout the Bible. When you read in Genesis, you get to those two brothers, Jacob and Esau. You understand them that, that although Esau was born first, Jacob is called the firstborn. When you're reading in Exodus and you see the people of God called Israel, his chosen people, there were other nations before Israel came into being. In Exodus chapter 4, God calls Israel his firstborn. When you get to Psalm 89, Psalm 89 is a messianic psalm. And in Psalm 89, God says of the Messiah, I will make him my firstborn. False gospels, uh, like Jehovah's Witness, false gospels have taken this verse and say, well, see right here, it tells us that Jesus was born. This is a proof text that he was born. But if you read it in its context with verse 16, you understand the exalted status of Jesus Paul is calling us to put our focus. I want you to focus. If you've sinned and sinned terribly, I want you to focus on the perfect life of Jesus. Christmas is the time for you to look at the life of Jesus and there. You don't, don't let your own sin make it so that you feel like you'll never be close to God. Focus on the, focus on the words of Jesus. What is it that Jesus has said? Most of all, go to the cross and there focus on the death of Jesus. Think of Jesus dying in your place, taking the wrath of God from you. Think of the blood of Jesus. Think of your sins being forgiven. Focus on His resurrection. If you're sick, if you have a terminal disease, if you've lost somebody close to you that was a Christian, think about the resurrection. Think about how God raised Him from the dead to give us victory. Think about His resurrection body. 
Focus on the promise of Christ, what He has promised you. Focus on His wounds. There is healing in the wounds of Jesus. Is He your focus? Let me give you a third thing to consider as we go through it. Join me there in verse 16, number 3. This text tells us that He is sovereign over our days. Sovereign over our... The word sovereign means He is in complete control. That He is over it all. Isn't verse 16? I mean, I probably, as I've thought through, I always have regrets when I'm preaching a sermon, and I'm usually right before I preach it, and then sometimes it's after I preach it. I always think I, I should have done more. Verse 16 is one of those verses that if you wanted to, you could go and spend your time there. In verse 16... Let me just read, and uh, let's, let's just read the first two-thirds of verse 16 and drink in all you see there. Join me there, verse 16. <clears throat> For by Him, by Jesus, by Him all things were created. Now look at the, how it's described in bookends from top to bottom. In heaven and in earth. Whether you can see it, visible or invisible. And then he just lists, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Now Paul's there. It's an amazing text, verse 16. For by him all things were created. And then look, look what the all things means. All things. Whether it's up in the heavens where you can't see it, here on earth, whether it's visible or invisible, whether it's thrones or dominions or powers or authorities, all that. So what does that mean for us? You go to Genesis chapter 1. If you start reading the Bible next year, let's say you pick it up after the weekend and you start a reading plan, you get to Genesis chapter 1, you're going to see that God is creating Genesis chapter 1. Everything that God created in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, He made by means of Christ. Don't, don't think that Jesus doesn't come until the New Testament. Don't think that. We are Trinitarian people. If God is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect fellowship from eternity past, and Christ is there in the beginning. That everything God made, He made by means of Christ. Whether you, whether you look at all of those realities, whatever realities that you can think of, and I started to think about this and started listing. There are too many things to list. Whether you look at the good things or maybe you look at your enemies. Even people that do not acknowledge the existence of God and that they owe their existence to God. They were made through Christ. If he is the creator then, you know what that means for us, for me? If he is the creator he has prerogative, you see. That Christ has prerogative in your life. And, and if he has prerogative, that means that he does what he wants with us, that sometimes he does those things that are beyond our control and our understanding. And in tragedy, brokenheartedness, or maybe your heart isn't broken, maybe just heavy, maybe you just walked into that, just heavy-heartedness. What happens is, as believers, we are thrown on the hard ground of trust. We trust. Trusting Christ is like a seatbelt. Think of it like this. You ever been in a car wreck? You had a seatbelt on. I came up, man, my dad would not, we would not leave the house. 
till the seatbelt, he heard the click, and I was in the seatbelt. That was the one, number one question I would get when I was a teenager. Do you, you have your seatbelt on? Wear the seatbelt. If you're wearing that seatbelt, and if you're in a good car, you've got a seatbelt on, you're in a bad wreck, that seatbelt holds you there. But you get out of that car, you're still sore. You still got marks across your body from that seatbelt. But that seatbelt saved your life. You see, trusting Christ in a tragedy is like that. It's still going to hurt. You're still going to have marks. But that seatbelt of Christ's sovereignty, that has saved your life. A trust. We, we, we trust that Christ, he is the creator, that he has saved us, that that he is working all things together for good for those that love God. That's trust. You see in these verses, Paul, if you look in verse 16, he mentions Christ creating. And at the very end of verse 16, we won't get to the very end, but almost to the end, he mentions the power structures. Do you see that? Visible and invisible, whether powers or dominions or rulers or authorities, he mentions all of those things. He mentions the power structures in the universe and and what he's doing for us, this is important. When we roll up on an election series, man, I dread politics. Do you? I hate it. I mean, I absolutely hate it. I know we've got to go through it, and, uh, and I'll be the pastor when all that politics is going on. I absolutely hate it. But it's good to go to this passage right here to remember that all of those dominions and powers and governments, whether it's spiritual or natural, that he is over every bit of that. And even those that are in rebellion against him, he's still Lord over them. But look, he's not just sovereign. My fourth point, I promise I'll speed up. He's not just sovereign. Number four, verse 16, he is the reason we live. Look at it. He's the reason we live. Show me there, verse 16. Let me show it to you. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things are created, slow down, through him. See that last phrase? And for him. So it's, it's not enough that, that he was there and, and everything in creation was, was created through him. It was all created to go back. It's, it's created for. You see that right there in verse 16? There you find your purpose. Your purpose in this world and bearing the image of God in your life and all the dignity that comes with you being created in the image of God, all that potential, some of you have great talents. Some of you don't have talent. You got motivation. I mean, God made it so, made you so that you are motivated. Or maybe you have gifts. You have, or maybe you don't have any of that. You just got money. You have resources. All that you have been given. Your, some of you have the capacity to love people. You just love people. You're, you're able to forgive. You are patient. Some of you think clearly. You are administrative. Or you, maybe you don't have any of that. You just know how to work. 
you just, you just like the work. God has given you that, your ability. Or maybe you're just good with people. You can encourage people. Or maybe you just can grit your teeth and endure anything. God gave that to you. And all of that, whatever it is you have, that was given to you so that you might live for Christ. Whatever gift you have, whatever ability, whatever natural inclination, that was given to you so that you might live for Christ. Trusting, you see, trusting in the grace of God found at the cross of Jesus. And if you're not trusting in the grace of God found at the cross of Jesus, what happens is all of that given to you is a waste. Man, it's a waste. You think of people you know right now that are gifted in some of those areas, some of those good gifts, able to love, and are wasting it. Don't waste it. Don't waste what you're walking through. Look, if you're, if you're suffering, you got some sort of pain, something you're dealing with, or you're care, it's a dull, don't waste. That is there for Christ. It's been given to you for Christ. I, uh, I like to spend some time in cemeteries. I, like to, uh, I think they're neat. I like to go. Uh, Connie oftentimes will accompany me. We, uh, you guys gave me a hard time. We went through our 20th anniversary. I think we did it in Salisbury. They've got a great cemetery there. Stayed in a bed and breakfast. Natural born romantic, I am. Natural born romantic. <laughs> I like the old cemeteries. I like the monuments. I like the tombstones. I like to see what people have, have etched in stone. What are you remembered by? But maybe the greatest thing I've ever heard of a dead man comes from the great radical reformer named Count Zinzendorf, and he said it best. Count Zinzendorf, Count Zinzendorf said, Our life's work is to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Why? Because he's the reason we live. This is for him. It's what the text says. It's for him. We are made for him. That's four. Let me go to five. What, what else about him? Number five. Number five, he holds it all together. He holds it all together. Verse 17. Look, if you're a parent, you should take hold of verse 17. You've got multiple kids. I hear some of them here. Thank you for being here. It was a risk to come. We don't have child care today, and here you are with the kids. Thank you for doing that. It's a great example. If they get loud, I'll get louder. <laughs> so don't, don't, you don't have to leave. Just let me just shout uh, and get over them. But notice verse 17. Notice what the text says, verse 17. He is before all things, and in him, what does that mean? In him, all things hold together. Now, if you read it slow and think it deep, or in proper English, if you read it slowly and think it deeply. So the first phrase, he is before all things. He is before all things. He is the first truth. He is the pre-existent one. That would be something you could just, if you wanted to go down the trail thinking, I'm not a philosopher, I, my head starts to hurt when I think about it too long. He is before all things. Now, think this with me just for a moment. He is before all things, the second truth of verse 17. And, and in him, all things hold together. 
He sustains it. What does he sustain? What is he holding together? Verse 17, all things. We're thankful for gravity. Thank God for gravity. It's natural. But you know how it's being held together? In Christ. If you got here today in a vehicle, there's air in your tires. That air stayed in your tire because of Christ. The chair that you are sitting in doesn't drop you on the ground because of Christ. For the last six months, I've been in a gaining phase, and I didn't anticipate this vest I was going to put on today. And the buttons right here that are not flying off into the first row <laughs> held together. Yeah. Whatever you can come up with, just, because the, the phrase is all things in verse 17. Whatever you can come up with, concrete that is laid, bricks and mortar, a hundred billion things that Jesus is holding together at the same time. If he can do that, don't you think God will keep your redeemed life from dropping? That's where they're clapping over right there. You hear me? Don't you think that God will keep your life that he has redeemed from dropping over into utter chaos? The great Dutch prime minister lived in early 1900s, Abraham Kuyper. He was right when he said, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which our sovereign Christ doesn't say, that is mine. If that's true, If that's true, it has implications for us. If he is the sustainer, then he does something with. He does something with the failures and the hurts. He does something with the longings and the boredom and the tragedies. He does something with the makeup of your life. The disappointments, the pains. All that which you thought would tear you apart. Verse 17 says, he holds it together. Now, <clears throat> some of you are doing math. It's Christmas Eve, you're ready to go home. We've gone through five points fairly slowly. Now, I'd like to pick it up. I'm going to pick up the pace. I'm going to offer six points in half the amount of time. You ready? We're going to go quickly. I can't take my time. I've got to preach again over main campus. Here's number six. Here we go. Verse 18 says that he is Lord of the church. Join me there, verse 18. Notice what the text says in verse 18. He is, he is head of the body, which is the church. Any church that doesn't place within its borders the centrality of Christ, that doesn't hold up the power of the gospel, will not be a church for long. Because Christ is Lord over the church. Any church that doesn't hold close to its chest the inerrancy of Scripture, the sufficiency of the Bible. I mean, look at the United Methodists right now. Fracturing completely because they've abandoned the centrality of Christ. He is head of the church. Jesus said, Upon that confession, I will build my church. 
The church exists by Christ, through Christ, for Christ, and in Christ. Number seven. He is where life begins. What does he say in verse 18? He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning. That word, arche. Ark. First one. You press that word a little further and you find out it means he is the source. What does the Bible tell us? On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out in a loud voice, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me from his inmost being will flow rivers. What did Jesus say? I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. That's what the gospel gives us, right? When we share the gospel, when we talk about God as the good creator who created all of us in his image, how creation is good from Genesis 1 and 2, and how sin enters in with Adam and Eve, and all of their children afterwards, all of humanity afterwards are born with a sinful nature, a tendency to move away from God, uh, something that makes it so that we can't be in fellowship with God. That's the problem that the gospel solves. That's what Christmas is about. The gospel tells us that God in his goodness gives us Jesus who came into this world as a genuine man, although fully God. Lived perfectly in our place, died on the cross to take away the wrath and judgment of God, takes that away and gives us his righteousness so that any person here that believes in Jesus, that Jesus died for you, will be saved. He is our hope. In fact, I'll make that my, my eighth point. He is our only hope. Verse 18, do you see it? He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. Here comes the hope. <clears throat> He is the firstborn. There's our word again. He is the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He is the firstborn from the dead. Now, when you read the gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find out that there are other people that were raised from the dead before Jesus was raised from the dead. Little girl raised from the dead. The most famous would be Lazarus raised from the dead. But those people died again. When Jesus Christ was crucified, taking the wrath of God, as the sin bearer, and was buried. When God raised him from the dead, he had a resurrection body. He was the first one. And his resurrection then, his resurrection becomes our hope, becomes our promise for new life. When we think about all that happens after the crucifixion and resurrection, so what happens at the cross? Jesus dies, takes the wrath of God. You think of post-crucifixion. After the cross, the wrath of God is taken away. After the cross, the stench of death is taken away. After the cross, the propitiation, it's, it's after the anger of God is taken away and the resurrection has us the promise. That promise is forgiveness and, and new life and hope and joy and healing. He's our only hope. Number nine. Number 9 tells us that he is the real king. Verse 18, join me there. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Here it is. That's you. This is Christianity. He's the real king. Here's the demand now. Here, here's the, the first demand, that in everything he might be first. 
that in everything he might be who you worship. That in your whole life, he might be Lord over all of it. That he actually is the real king. That was nine. Let me give you a tenth one. Here's Christmas, verse 19. We finally get here. He is our joyful Savior. Joyful Savior. Talking the other day, someone mentioned there seems to be so much, when it comes to Christian holidays, why do we have so much music around Christmas? Why around Christmas? We think about all the big events in Christianity. Christmas, had, because we want to sing. The joyful. Two, two words in verse 19 that would be worth sort of just looking at even beyond this sermon. One word is fullness. The other is please. Let me show it to you, verse 19. For in him, in Jesus, in him all the fullness of God. That's where we get that when, when Christ comes into the world, he's fully man, fully divine. His godness is not diminished. He's full. All, the, all that makes God God is in Christ. Now, now we could sit and think on that. And it would be beyond what I can conceive and explain. All the fullness of God, that's the word pleroma, the, all, the, all that is God is there. And in verse 19, there's, there's a word I want to pay most attention to. It's the word pleased. You see that? In him, all the fullness of God was pleased, was happy. Like the fullness of God is, is there's this good intent. It's a joyful occasion. That the, that the rescue has worked. It's why the angels burst in singing. It's why Christmas is a happy time. Because all the fullness of God was happy to dwell there in Jesus. That he is our, joyf he is our joyful Savior. And I'll wrap it up and close it. Verse 20, number 11. Thought it couldn't be done. Here it is. He is our only peace. In two areas. One is future, one is present. Verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth. There is coming a time when there is complete peace, when the curse of all creation that curses the ground, all of that will be lifted, and that is lifted in Christ. But there is something that can be lifted right now. It's the end of verse 20, that he has made peace by the blood of his cross. That Jesus Christ came as a man, born as a child, lived perfectly, and at the cross he has taken away any anger God might have toward you, you put your faith in what Christ has done. Christmas tells us there is hope. And I want you, <clears throat> I want you to base who you are on who he is. Verse 19, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Verse 20, he has made peace for us by the blood of his cross. Put your faith and hope and joy and trust in the crucified, resurrected Jesus. Would you join me now with your heads bowed? We'll go to the Lord in just a moment of prayer.
heads bowed and maybe even with your eyes closed, a good time to thank God for what he's done for you and for me. We trust in the peace of God given to us in Christ. This Christmas is a Christmas where you are reminded you can trust God. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would restore trust and hope and joy. God, I pray that you would strengthen your people. I pray that this Christmas would be a time of reflecting on how good your grace is, how you have sustained us. God, I pray that in mercy you would call those that have strayed. I pray you would call those that are wayward. And I pray you would give them ears to hear, hearts to turn. God, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for the cross. And it's by his power we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.